You're listening to TalkLine. TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. And now... You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. With Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program, Mom. Zev Brenner, we're going to look at the fascinating story about a Catholic Gestapo agent who spied on Nazis, married an anti-Zionist rabbi, helped kidnap Yoshua Schumacher, and the very interesting stories, a subject of a couple of books that are coming out. But our guest tonight is Professor Mutti Imbari, Professor of Jewish Studies at the University of South Carolina at Pembroke. Thank you for joining us. Author of the book on Ruth Blau that's coming out in a little while. Thank you for being part of our show tonight. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much. Thank you. I know you write and you lecture and you're an expert on the Sachman Tarikarta. Tell us about your fascination with Ruth Black, because she's a very colorful woman. We're going to get to her in just a moment. <laughs> a little... well, well, you say it yourself, such an interesting person. How can you not be fascinated by her? Well, absolutely. So tell us about uh, Ruth Blau. That's her name, but she wasn't born Ruth Blau. She was born a Catholic and only child, and she had a very colorful history, including a bar girl in Paris, but we're going to get to all that. So let, let's look at her, her interesting life. Yeah, well, she was born in France in 1920 as Madeleine Lucette Ferrey. She was born to Catholic parents, and uh, she grew up in Paris, in a wonderful location, one of the best spots in Paris and uh, grew up in the church and have received Catholic education. And um, uh, during World War II, she she was 18 years old. She got married. She moved to southern France. Many people left Paris back back during the war and moved to southern France. And um, as a young woman, she, she she didn't get along with her husband. She divorced him. She had a son, a child. And um, and the the war came, and also refugees, and also other things that came with that. And um, I've been studying her, her biography, and uh, I found that she helped to save one Jewish woman from a concentration camp in Nice. Uh, she went with uh, false uh, documents to the concentration camp and uh, pulled that woman out of that concentration camp and said, to the Nazis, uh, you, you had a mistake. This is the wrong person. You got the wrong person. She pulled her out. She took her with her to her village in the border where France and Spain. And, um, and later on, after that, this was before, after that, she joined the French resistance and officially got drafted to the French resistance. And uh, this is where you started saying the Gestapo and all those things. <laughs> so this is where it uh, became. Uh, so she was recruited to the French resistance, to a, to a group of uh, resistance that was located in southern France. And the purpose of this resistance was to uh, collect information about Nazi, uh, Nazi activities in southern France. And this information was sent to uh, Britain in order to prepare for D-Day, as uh, the Nazis themselves were expecting that there would be a, an invasion of, a, of, a, of the British powers, British and American 
uh, what later would become be called D-Day. So they, they were strengthening their forces in southern France, expecting the invasion. And Madeleine uh, Lucet uh, was recruited to the French resistance to, uh, to spy on uh, the Nazi activities. And her specific purpose was to learn more about the Gestapo the secret services that were uh, that were used by the Nazis. So she was able to penetrate the, um, the to gain their trust, to uh, get uh, accepted into the Gestapo as a double agent and was able to send information about Nazi activities to to uh, you know to the resistance. Well, she must have been very good if she was A, to be recruited, but how did she end up being a spy? What was, how did they know that she would work out well? Did she volunteer? How did that process play out? Yeah, so at that time, uh, the, the, the Gestapo was very effective. The Gestapo was able to crash their, uh, their resistance, the French resistance, very strongly at that time so they they had to recruit more and more and more people all the time because the nazis were able to capture everyone and so this is a this is how you know the, the process went um how did she do that she was a very charming woman and uh, this is something that i've learned from her biography and i've studied her life from the moment she was born to the moment she died people she was very talented she was very smart and she was she had a certain charm and many people were captivated by her and she was very beautiful also something that always is always helpful always helpful and i guess it helped her in her spying thing so but how did she end up in she also ended up in jail correct yeah so this is a so she she spent time in jail multiple times in her life so uh, the first time was after the french uh, after the nazis were defeated so every person, as every woman that uh, collaborated with the Nazis or even had an affair with the Nazi, okay, French woman had an affair with the, with the Nazi, with the German soldier, they were all brought to interrogations. And the way in which they, they were treated was that they would shave their hair and they would parade them on the streets of uh, you know, the cities in France to shame them and to uh, people would spit on them and would kick them. And so she was brought to interrogations. Uh, they didn't know that she was a secret agent. She didn't know that there was a, she was a double agent. And uh, after five days of interrogations, she was set free. They didn't touch her. And uh, after the war ended, she, came, she moved back to Paris with her family, with her son and her mother. And she joined the French Secret Service. Um, she was sent to a, a mission in Morocco, to a, a spying mission in Morocco, again, to spy against, you know, after the war, there were still uh, people who were fascists and Nazis all over, you know, all over places. And there was a certain individual who was an Italian fascist that uh, was living in Morocco and he was starting to stir up something and they were trying to you know to to have a better grip of what is what is doing and what is planning so they sent her and they sent her to spy on him and she was able to become uh, acquainted with him and uh, it was interesting 
because the, the Moroccan Secret Service was also spying on him. And so when they saw them together, they arrested her. They arrested her. And this is how I know all these things, because they wrote reports about it. And so it's all documented. And, uh, and so this is how, I, so she was, she was, uh, she joined the Moroccan, the French Secret Service, and she, she went on a mission after the war to continue her spying duties on ex-fascist, ex-Nazis in uh, North Africa. That assignment was done, and then she moved back, uh, she came back to France. And as far as I know, this is where her uh, secret spying, you know, uh, jobs ended. Uh, she started a, a process of education. She went to study religion, religious studies. And in the Sorbonne, which is a prestigious university in France. And um, this is where she started her interest in learning about other religions. She went through a, a process of uh, searching multiple religions and multiple prospects. And eventually she ended up in Judaism. And uh, at the same time, she had the business. So you asked me about the jail, the jail period. She had a business and she wasn't paying her taxes. <laughs> she was importing and selling stuff. She was, was buying uh, materials from, from North Africa and selling them in France. And uh, she wasn't paying her taxes. And the authorities, the French authorities caught her and put her for two months in jail for not paying her taxes. Wow. <laughs> Cheating on the taxes. So, so she served time in jail. Now, you also mentioned she was also a bar girl too, wasn't she? I didn't say that. No, other people say it. Other people, say I've, I've read other other articles about her. So, have you found that to be the case? So, I uh, I do it by elimination. I don't I don't think she was a bar girl because in, because the the uh, the story that she was a bar girl in Paris. She wasn't living in Paris. She was living in southern France. Uh, and I found the, the French documents, you know, the Secret Service documents uh, that are now, they declassified, they declassified all the documents from World War II. So I went to France and I was able to read all the documents about her past. They never mentioned that she was a bar girl and she, they wrote a lot of things over there. So <laughs> I don't think they were shy or they were. So uh, I just don't think she was a bar girl. This is not true. So how did that end up? Because I, I kept hearing over the years that she was, she was in show business, a bar girl. You kept hearing different things. Yeah. So there has to be some substance to those rumors. I'm just curious to yeah. know if you so, knew your professional opinion, how that came about. Israel was the head of the Mossad. We still didn't talk about the Yossele affair. This is where she came. The first, her first path, <laughs> her first path with the Mossad. <laughs> Her first path with the Mossad, and there were other paths with the Mossad. This was not the, the only path. But I think Israel kind of spread these rumors about her past. And there was a reason for that, uh, the way in which I understand it. The way I've, I figured out in my research about her relationship with the Mossad, that uh, she probably did work with the Mossad, uh, especially in her later years. And she collaborated with the Mossad doing some very interesting and some very dangerous uh, assignments for the Mossad. But uh, he had to trash a reputation so that people won't suspect that they are collaborating, that they are working together. So 
so he spread this rumors that she was a prostitute and bartender and all those things. And I think this is the reason why he spread those rumors. But we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll we'll get, get to that. that. Our fascinating guest, as you heard, he's an expert on the Turicarta. He's an expert on soccer. He's writing a book about Ruth Ben David, who was born as a Catholic. She was a Gestapo agent. She worked for the Mossad. She also worked for French Secret Service. And um, she ended up marrying the leader of Naturi Carter, of Amram Blau, and she kidnapped Yasso Schumacher. We'll talk about that as well. Our guest is Professor Mutti Mbari, Professor of Jewish Studies at the University of South Carolina at Pembroke. And Can I just correct you? I'm on the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. <laughs> North Carolina, okay. Yeah. You know, by the way, in the article in Weiner, they said South Carolina. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Oops. So, <laughs> Oops. So we'll have to correct Weiner as well. Okay. Uh, so we're going to be right back. Don't go away. Stay tuned. Okay. You're listening to the uh, Talkline Network here on WSNR. 620 on the AM dial WJPR 1640 AM. Okay, welcome back to the program, Mom. Is that Brenner? We're looking at the very interesting story of Ruth Blau. She was uh, infiltrated the Gestapo, worked for French intelligence, worked for the Mossad, and she also married the anti-Zionist Naturi Karta leader of Amram Blau. And uh, she was involved, she actually helped kidnap. Yeso Schumacher, which kept the Mossad and kept a lot of people going for a while. Our guest is Professor Mutti Inbar. He's Professor of Jewish State University of North Carolina at the Pembroke, and uh, uh, we appreciate him being with us. His book is coming out uh, soon. When's the book on Ruth Blau coming out, by the way? In the su- during the summer, so there's still some time. There's still some time, but we're just giving everybody a preview of what yeah. uh, what to, what to expect, and that's... Uh, Oh, here. Okay. So she tell us that she was fascinated with Judaism. Tell us more about that. How did that come about? She was just looking for spiritual, uh, you know, excitement. And she was unhappy with her Christian uh, faith. And she started studying in a, in a college setting and started uh, exploring. She, started, she went to Seventh-day Adventist. She studied the Greek mythology. And then she got focused on the Bible. She got really co- focused on the Bible. But she didn't know any Jew. You know, there was no Jews in her, her surrounding. So at that point, she met an Israeli that was studying in France, in the Sorbonne. And as I said, she was a beautiful woman. Everybody wanted to marry her. <laughs> she, she had a, multiple people trying to marry her. And he, he fell in love with her. And he said, ah, you need to convert. And so she, 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 she went to this process of conversion in order to get married. Eventually, this marriage did not uh, move forward. They broke up. But she continued her conversion, and she converted in a reform synagogue in Paris in, uh, I think, 1949. Um, after that, she met an Orthodox rabbi who wanted to marry her. And <laughs> he said, you know, you're a reform convert. It, it, it won't work. You, you need to convert again. So uh, she converted an Orthodox conversion in Paris in order to get married with him. And they already got engaged and they planned to move to Israel and everything was already set. And eventually broke the engagement and uh, she was uh, heartbroken and went back to France. 
1960, she decided to, to do Aliyah after her son, her son from her first marriage uh, was already 18 years old. He decided to move to Israel and he joined the IDF and she made Aliyah. And when she came to Israel, in, I should have mentioned that in France, while she was doing the Orthodox conversion, she came across a Rabbi Mises, Elijah Mises, who was a Neturi Karta kind of person, and he helped her with her conversion. And so he moved to Israel and he joined Neturi Karta community in Measharim. And uh, when she came to Israel, when she moved, she did Aliyah, Mises called her. And this is where the Yosele story begins. Uh, so for the audience who doesn't remember exactly what the Yosel story is about, um, there was a, a family that was able to get out of the Soviet Union and a free generation, a grandfather and a grandmother, children and grandchildren. And the grandfather was a Braslev Hasid uh, that was uh, persecuted in the Soviet Union and he was sent to Siberia, and he lost his eye, and he lost his toes, and he was able you know, eventually to get out and settled in with the Braslev Hasidim in Measharim. And his daughter had two children, and uh, she gave the, the, the son, Yosele, to the grandfather to take care of him and while they were settling down. And eventually she signed up the boy to a... Uh, to religious Zionist school. The boy was seven years old and the grandfather opposed the schooling and the grandfather kidnapped the boy so that he won't be sent to... Because they got to a religious Zionist school. Yeah, because the, the grandfather was a Braslev Hasid. You know, back then the Braslev Hasids were very anti-Israeli and, and the daughter signed up her son to a religious Zionist school instead of a cheder, a yeshiva in Jerusalem. And so he kidnapped the boy. And after a while, uh, they were trying to hide Yosele in all kinds of places. The police was after them. They, they, they basically, they gave the boy to the Ture Karta and said, take the boy you know, outside of Israel. So the Ture Karta didn't know how to do that. But then Mises remembered the French convert, and he called her in. She just made Aliyah. She just made Aliyah. And he called her in, and he asked her to smuggle the boy outside of Israel. And she came up with a plan. She basically changed his identity from a boy to a girl. She forged documents on her Belgian passport that she had a son instead of a boy. And uh, she was able to, uh, to take him outside of Israel. So first she brought the boy to a yeshiva in Switzerland and the boy stayed there for a year until he was exposed. One of the teachers at the yeshiva identified that this is Yosele and then they had to move him to a different location. He went to a yeshiva in France for eight months. Again, he was exposed after eight months and then they moved him to Brooklyn, New York. And she coordinated this, all this activity was done by her. Yes, everything she was, she's done. So after two and a half years in Israel, they, they couldn't find the boy. Ben Gurion asked the Mossad to find the boy. 
So the Mossad, through their investigations, were able to link her to the kidnapping of the boy. And they basically, they trapped her in Paris. They kidnapped her and put her under interrogation for two weeks. After two weeks, basically what happened in Israel, they also brought her son for interrogation. And the son broke in his interrogation and gave the Mossad the whole story, what happened. And then she, and then the Mossad had her in Paris and they told her that her son confessed. And so she confessed and gave the location of the boy. It was on Penn Street, 126 Penn Street in Brooklyn, in New York. <laughs> Williamsburg, Brooklyn, New York, in the Sopper area. Exactly. So at what point did she marry Rabbi Amram Blau, the leader yes. of Natura Karta? Okay, so she received from the Mossad a promise that she will not be persecuted, not her, not her son, and not anyone else that was involved in the kidnapping. And why did they make that promise to her? So for, for her to give her the, to give the address. To confess, uh, so this was a deal. deal. If you gave the address, then she wouldn't be prosecuted. Yes, she, she made a deal. And, and you have to give the context is that there was tremendous pressure on Israel to find it was a story that gripped yeah. Israel. Listen, and, this, uh, the, the Satma Rebbe was involved. The Lubavitcher Rebbe was involved. The, the Rabbi Kanievsky from the, from, uh, from the Ponovich Yeshiva was involved. There were great people were involved. If the Israel wanted to go and persecute everyone and exploit predictions and all that stuff, this is a big no, let me let me start from when you say the Satma Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rebbe Kanievsky was involved. What does that mean involved? Tell us some. I, I just the first I'm hearing about the Lubavitch or Satma Rebbe yeah. or Kanievsky. So, to what was their involvement uh, according to what you have found? Yes. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Um, so the the, the Braslev Hasid had two sons, and these two sons were Chabad Hasid. They were not Braslev, they were Chabad. And they were the first ones who kidnapped Yosele. And they were in contact with the Lubavitcher Rebbe about all those things. But eventually, they decided to transfer him to, uh, to Neturei Karta. The Satma Rebbe was involved in hiding Yosele in New York. Um, Satma family. Satma Rebbe coordinated the hiding of Yosel Schumacher? He, he knew about it. He knew. She came but, to him. But the difference between knowing about it being involved with it. So was he involved or did he just know about it? So she came to him and she needed Ruth to... Ha- came, Ruth came to the Satma Rebbe. Yes, Ruth came to the Satma Rebbe. And there is a docu- there is a testimony about that. There is a, there's, so how did the Mossad connected Ruth with with the kidnapping, it was because a Satmar, a Satmar woman that went to meet the Rebbe had to wait for him a few hours, and because he was he had an un, unplanned meeting with Ruth for three hours, and she was talking with people about you know she can't understand how come. The Rebbe was not seeing his, you know, visitors and putting all of them on hold. And then when they're waiting for three hours and then Ruth is coming out of his room and uh, and she was talking about it. And the Mossad agent heard this conversation and she was talking about it with other people, you know, and the Mossad had the people inside the Satmar. 
and uh, they had. Are you saying that the Mossad infiltrated the Sahara community? Would that had to do with the Yossel Schumacher case, or in general they infiltrated the Sahara community? For the Yossel case, for the Yossel case. So they suspected that there was a Sahara connection to the kidnapping. Yes, it was clearly it was the anti-Zionists. They they think it, they thought it was either the Satmar or the Neturei Karta or the Chabad. Neturei Karta and Satmar are not the same. They're yes. at odds with one another. Yes, but it was they. So they tried to think who are the suspects, who who can be involved in that, and they were trying to narrow it down. And when they heard this story that Ruth Ben David was coming out of the Satma Rebbe from an unplanned meeting for they took for three hours, they they not they they connected the dots. You know, it was about Yosele. This is where they connected the dots, and. <laughs> This is how it was all connected. Um, Yosele was a... They were hiding Yosele in the Satmar family. Alta Feige Teitelbaim uh, was uh, connected with that. Uh, with matching Yosele with this family, the Gertner family. So <laughs> if they were taken for investigations and if the police would have come... Maybe a lot of juice would come out of this, but Israel decided not to prosecute it, to leave it alone. Now, you mentioned little Baba Cherebi, so yeah. how was he connected to this whole according so, to So, as I said, at the, first, at the first stages of the kidnapping, those who kidnapped Yosele were Chabad Hasidim. And, and Yosele was, uh, was uh, they were hiding Yosele in a Chabad yeshiva. In Israel, in Lod, uh-huh. but, so, uh, but the Rebbe approved them the, the, you know, the hiding of the of the of Yosel in the Chabad Yeshiva. So nobody ever investigated the Rebbe about the, the, the about the those issues, and therefore we don't really know how much he knew, how much he doesn't know. But I do know something else about the Chabad, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Ruth Ben David was trying to bring Yosel to a, a Chabad institution in Morocco. And they have asked the Rebbe if they should accept the boy or not. And after the, the Rebbe told them not to accept the boy. And so she was unable to find a solution in Morocco. Fascinating. So at least he knew that the boy is in Morocco and they were contacting Chabad Yeshiva in Morocco. So he knew he had some information about what was going on with Yosele. He never shared it with anyone. So let me ask you this question, Professor Mbari. So if the Mossad infiltrated the Satmar community in New York and they saw Ruth Ben David meeting for hours with the Satmar Rebbe and they connected the dots, why did they need to go ahead and get her to cooperation? They Couldn't they have done more work on the ground in Williamsburg if that's what they knew that he was, the boy was there? They probably suspected he was there. So weren't they, wouldn't they be able to do that on their own without her, her help? So they didn't know where the boy exactly is located. And Satmar is a big community. You know, you can go house by house. Well, in those but, days, it wasn't as big as it is today. Yeah. Uh, but another thing, uh, they didn't want to mess with the FBI. They didn't want to do anything, you know, that is breaking the law, the American law. So when they, when Ruth was confessed and gave the address to uh, the Mossad, the Mossad contacted the FBI and told them, this is the address, please go and pick the boy from there. And the FBI was not, 
was not in a rush to do that. Why wasn't the FBI in a rush to do it? So international <laughs> intrigues. So here's the thing. So there was a, a Soviet spy, and I just, I don't remember his name right now, that uh, they, the CIA was able to catch in America. And he, uh, and he was able to use a fake passport to escape the United States. Persecution is jail time. And he was Jewish. So he flew to Israel. And he was asking for, a, you know, for a, you know a, that Israel will give him citizenship and protection because he's Jewish. And he was a Soviet spy. And the FBI said to Israel, you want your Saleh? Bring us the spy, please. So there was an exchange. After Israel sent the spy back to the United States, Yossel, the FBI went and knocked on Gertner's family's door and asked, was taking Yossel out of their house. So it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the whole thing sounds very complicated. It's all in my book. <laughs> wow, which will be coming out. That's a fascinating story. And there's so much more. We're going we're gonna to continue our conversation looking at the case of Ruth Lau, who infiltrated the Gestapo, fought uh, for the French resistance, was arrested uh, in in France after after the war. She converted to Judaism. She married Rabbi Amram Blau, leader of Naturi Karta, and she was the brains behind the kidnapping of Yossel Schumacher. Our mm-hmm. guest is Professor Mati Ambari, Professor at Jewish State University of North Carolina, Pembroke, and he is author of a fascinating book dealing with Ruth Lab, which will be out next summer. We're back. We're looking at Ruth Lau. She is a former, yeah, actually she was a Gestapo. At least she masqueraded as Gestapo. Uh, she was arrested by the French. She worked with the Mossad. She married the Turek Harta leader, Rabbi Amram Blau, and uh, she had the whole intrigue of the Yossel Schumacher affair. She was the mastermind. Our guest is Professor Mutti Imbari, Professor of Jewish Studies at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke, and his fascinating book of Ruth Blau will be out in a number of months. And uh, we're continuing to to look at this really fascinating, fascinating story. Okay, let's squeeze in some phone calls. I believe you're on the air. Where are you calling from? Hello? Yes, where are you calling from? Good evening. I'm calling from Ansee. My name is Saul. And so what's your... points about what the professor said. Okay. First of all, Tom Rebbe was not involved in this. He didn't want to be involved. He did not want to be involved, and he was not involved. That's for one. Number two, his grandfather didn't want to uh, took him away because his mother wanted to send him, wanted to go back to Russia, and that was the main sticking point. Not where his mother enrolled him in which school. His mother wanted; she didn't, she did, they didn't like the lifestyle in Israel. They wanted to go back to uh, his father more than his mother wanted to go back to Russia, and that was that what triggered his grandfather to take him away. And number three, the Gertners were not really Satmar Hasidim. They're, they're blended into Satmar. They were here before the war, and they were the Malachim. You know, then in, in, in Williamsburg? Uh, they were a group. In fact, they broke, they, broke, they broke into the Satmar Rebbe's house. They broke his mirrors, but they said it wasn't fitting for a Rebbe to have mirrors. No, they did not bring it. That's true. That's the was not involved in this. No, 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 no. I said the Malachim, the Malachim, I said the Malachim, the group Malachim, they broke into the Satmar Rebbe's home and they broke his mirrors at one point. 
No, that was not the malachim. That was Rosh. It's a different story. No, that's what I heard. I heard it's the malachim. Okay. I'm going to let the professor. That's, that's not... I'll let the professor respond to you. Go ahead, professor. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, so the the malachim, the Gertners were malachim. You're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, who matched the root with the malachim? So you say not involved? Okay, so why did she sit for three hours with the Rebbe? <laughs> Can you explain that? Do you know do you know why she sat three hours with the Rebbe? They were talking about Gefilte Fish. Of that part of the story. Okay, so that's the part I don't of the story. Know where it takes it from. Okay. Where did you get that information from? Was that from the Mossad? The information, yeah. yeah. You know, I'm talking about that, that came from the Mossad, that they, they monitored this. I'm a Mossad and, and uh, I would, you know... I, I know uh, that, uh, yeah, and that's, it's that's good true. that you yeah. mentioned this thing about Russia, because this is absolutely not true, you know. Hold on, one, one at a time. I'll let, let, let the professor, Professor Mbari. So, so I you heard also that that the reason why there was a kidnap was because they were going to take her out, take the Yusla out of Israel into a non-religious environment. So it was wasn't was more than just being a religious no. Zionist school. So the, 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 okay, caller, I'm going to let, uh, what's your first name? My first name is so, so, okay, so, so let okay. Bar respond to you. So now, so you raised the question about the going back to Russia. And I have uh, asked Yossel, I actually uh, spoke with him on recently, and I asked him, is it true? What do you know about, is, were your parents planning to go back to Russia? And he, he told me that this is something that really bothered him all of his life. And he made very deep investigations into this question. And he came up with the conclusion that this was not true. This, the, his parents were not planning to get back to Russia. There were other immigrants from Poland who wanted to go back to Russia, but his parents were not uh, part of that group. You know, this is what he uh, told me, and I spoke with him about it. Okay. Uh, thank you for a really good question, good comment. Thank you. Okay, let's go to Manhattan. I believe we have another Shlomo in Manhattan. Go ahead, Shlomo. You have a question for our guest. Go ahead, Shlomo. Yes, let me, let me, I, I met with Amram Blau, and I also, in Yerushalayim, and I met with Ruth in uh, in Paris. I was there for Yom Kippur, and uh, we were in the same house, in a very religious house. Men ate in one room, women ate in another room, and she was filled with a lot of uh, Abbas Yisrael. And, That's uh, love of the Jews. Offered, Love, love of Jews, and she even offered me a match. She showed me a picture of a woman. She wanted me to marry. There's, there's a lot of, and she was in Paris for, she went to France from Israel to raise funds for poor people in Israel so they would have food to eat. She was filled with a lot of dedication um, and, and loving kindness. This is, this is what she is. So she left the, she didn't want to leave Jerusalem, but she left because she could raise funds for people. This is the story of Ruth. I asked her one question. I hope it's not anything pejorative against it, but I had a question against the Naturi Karta. Just prior to Yom Kippur, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I was in New York, and I saw in the New York Times, it was maybe page five, a big ad from Naturi Karta. And I asked Ruth a question. Did not Rav Elchanan Vasavan said we should not wash our dirty linens in public? And she said that's the only way that Israel will respond if we embarrass them. That's what she said to me. So um, I'm just telling you a historical fact of uh, 
1971. So let me ask you a question. How did you connect with the Ruth Blau? What was your involvement? I was, in, I, was, I was in the same house. I was, staying, I was in that house eating, and I, I, and I, had, I had met Amram Blau a half a year before in Yerushalayim. I went to see Amram Blau, just tell you, because one of the young men in our yeshiva, uh, he, he, he wasn't connecting totally with Torah, so I figured he's from France. And I'll bring her over to Amram Blau, whose wife speaks French, and there's the thing that'll open him up in a special way. Um, it turned out that Amram Blau gave the answer, and he, the fellow didn't even have to fill in. And he said, go to the Shuk in Meisharim, go to the Jew who sells silver, tell him I sent you, and he'll give you a pair of fill and ask for it. He, he himself, Amram Blau, people think that Turi Karta, not, you know, that they're negative. He was so filled with Abbas Yisrael, he was able to convince the soul to soul stay in Yeshiva for 12 years afterwards. So but, 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 was, but he also led violent demonstration against the state of Israel. He, he was had, a, a, so opposed to the state, even though he lived in Israel at the time. He, too. Had, his he, had, he had his ideology. There, Correct. Uh, if, I told, if I told you uh, that, that in, in, the, in the 1930s that they had the, all the great rabbis says, don't, don't, don't give any money to Karen Kayemet. Great rabbis. But that's a different, listen, before, and that's a whole different discussion. And I know Professor Mbari is especially with that too. But, but, but I'll just, uh, let me say clear for people to understand that before the creation of the state, there were many Orthodox rabbis, especially in the Haredi Orthodox world that were opposed to the creation of the state of Israel. Once the state was formed, that changed. The Torah Karta to even to this very day is not only opposed to the state of Israel, they also work with the enemies of Israel, including Iran. And if you remember, we had Rabbi Moshe Ayer Friedman on this program who brought the Naturi character to the Holocaust denying conference in Iran. We converted him to become a Zionist. But Naturi character to this very day has the same philosophy of Rabbi Amram Blau. They were opposed to the creation of the state of Israel before the Messianic age based on three oaths in the Talmud. Uh, but that's not accepted Norman. In fact, even the Satma Rebbe, and, and they're also non-Zionists and anti-Zionists, they dissociate themselves. But I, I appreciate you having intelligent calls to thank you for your phone call. Yeah, you I just realized she was a true convert with, with a lot of love and a lot of dedication to all people. Anyway, yeah. thank you for, for good observation. So let me ask you this, Professor Ambari. So how did she end up I'm talking about Ruth Blau, Ruth Ben David, marrying Rabbi Amram Blau. You said she was a gorgeous woman, so she could have married anybody in the Orthodox world, too. How did she get involved with Rabbi Amram Blau, the leader of the extremist Naturi uh, sect? I'm going to tell something that your audience will probably be outraged. The story of how they got married. So, <laughs> so uh, she came back to Jerusalem. Uh, Rabbi Amram Blau was married to a woman. Her name was Hinde. She had breast cancer and she died. She gave him 10, 10 children. Two months after her death, um, matchmakers knocked on Ruth's door uh, asking her to, if she would be willing to marry Rabbi Amram. And she said yes. And he said yes. And I tend to think that he probably sent the matchmakers to her uh, two months. Now, they wanted to keep it a secret because uh, it's only two months. And, uh, but you know, you can't keep a secret in Measharim. And when his children heard that their father is already <laughs> engaged and their mother is just two months dead, uh, they were outraged. And this was a point in which the leadership of Aida Haredit 
wanted to take advantage and to get rid of Amram Bloy. Now, we have to understand that uh, Neturi Karta and Adah Haredit are not the same thing, and they're not always <laughs> have the same mindset. And at that time, Adah Haredit was starting to build the business of Kashrut. And Neturi Karta were shaming their clients. So who buys the Kashrut of Neturi, of Adah Haredit? It's the supporters of Agudat Israel, other Haredim, other Hasidics. These are the ones who are buying this kashrut. And Amram Bloy doesn't care about that. He just wants to have demonstration and to shame everyone. And so they wanted to get rid of him. And they used the fact that his children were outraged by this marriage. And they went to the court, to the badats of Aida Haredit, and asked them for an injection to stop the marriage. And this is what happened. They stopped the, the Badats, ordered Amram Bloy to stop the marriage. And, and they, gave their, um, they gave their explanation why uh, they should not be married. And they said because Amram was 20 years older than Ruth. And because Amram had some issues with his fertility. And in that regard, he's uh, deceiving her because she's expecting to have children. And the third argument was about the gossip, that uh, everybody's making a joke. The Neture Karta and Aida Haredit are becoming a joke, the laughter of the city because of this marriage. And so he refuted the arguments and did his best. And basically, there was no really halachic reasoning behind uh, banning this marriage. So eventually, they had to fight. But eventually they found a solution. The solution was that uh, they would be allowed to get married. It took them two years to get married. The Satma Rebbe eventually approved the marriage. And uh, on the condition that Amram Bloy will move to Bnei Brak, will leave Jerusalem. And, um, and this basically was the, the whole issue behind this big scandal that happened with the marriage. It was an opportunity for the leadership of Aida Haredit to get rid of Amram Bloy and to, uh, lo- uh, to make him less, you know, less in power. Sure. So in historical context, at, at when the Yosel Schumacher story happened, she was not married to Rabbi Amram Bloy, or was exactly. she? She was not. So after it, this it, whole, it, after they found Yosel Schumacher, she got married to Rav Amram Blau. Yes, she came back to Jerusalem and she got married. So my question to you is, is why would she want to marry Rabbi Amram Blau, who was an extremist? Why? And obviously he, she was, he was so much older and she was a beautiful woman. So what I can understand why he wanted to marry her. Why did she want to marry him? Because she wanted to marry a man of power. And she felt that he was a man of power. Yes. And he was the one who was proposing, yes. <laughs> Satma Rebbe was not proposing. But she was looking for a leader, one of the leaders of the Haredi community, to marry him. A leader. So here's, here's, uh, here's an email from Lakewood, New Jersey. Isn't it true that Amram Blau married Ruth since because of an injury he sustained in the War of Independence and Allah didn't permit him to marry somebody born Jewish? Well, you, you just said that it's correct. That's what, this is what he said. That's what he said to the Badats. He said, since he had issues of fertility, he could not have children. 
it is fine to marry a convert, which is considered to be a second-grade woman. Here's an email from uh, Zev. Uh, the guess is being unclear. It is well known that the Satma Rebbe was not at all happy with the bringing of the boy to Williamsburg. Once he found out, he didn't want to inform the authorities. However, he never approved the plan originally. On the contrary, he was not happy with it. He was not happy, but his wife was there assisting. So maybe one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing, probably. But his wife was involved with that. BC writes, will your guest book be made into a movie? It sounds it has all the ingredients for at least to be a Netflix miniseries. So there is a movie that is being produced right now, there, but I'm not involved with that movie, but I know that there is a movie. Oh, there is a movie. Okay. Yeah. Our guest is Professor Mutti Ambari, Professor of Jewish Study, University of North Carolina and Pembroke. His book is Ruth Blau. Uh, it's being written. It's going to be out in a number of months. A fascinating story of a lady who grew up Catholic, who ended up uh, spying and then being part of the Gestapo and being arrested by the French and being recruited by the Mossad. She married into a character leader, Rabbi Amram Blau, and she also was the mastermind behind the kidnapping of Yosla Schumacher. Okay, our guest has written a fascinating book about Ruth Blau. She is a convert to Judaism, but she was born Catholic. She actually spied and infiltrated the Gestapo. Uh, She was part of the French intelligence, part of Mossad. She also uh, kidnapped Yosla Schumacher after she converted to Judaism. And uh, she married Naturikart, the leader, Rabbi Amram Blau. Our guest is Professor Mutti Imbari. He's an expert on Satmar Naturikarta. He's a professor of Jewish studies at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. Okay, uh, we have a whole bunch of emails coming in. But before I get to our emails and phone calls, Professor, so at, you mentioned earlier in the program that she continued working for the Mossad. What did that comprise of? Yeah, so I found the evidence uh, that after her husband died, uh, from 1979, uh, she um, she met Ayatollah Khomeini, the leader of the Iranian Revolution. She met him. She met him twice. When she met him in Iran, the first time she met him in Paris, where he was still he was receiving a refuge by the French government, and the second time she met him in Tehran. And um, she came to meet him for the first time uh, to inquire what would be his opinion uh, with Iranian Jews, what would be with Iranian Jews after the revolution. And he made a promise to her that he would not harm the Jews of Iran. Did he know that she was Mossad? So I, there is, um, so she came as an independent, yes, as a Neturi Karta. But there is some um, evidence to to suggest that after she met Khomeini, she spoke over the phone with Menachem Begin, uh, the Prime Minister of Israel, and told him about the meeting. So a Mossad agent wrote a book about that and it, uh, about his life in the Mossad, and some of it was about uh, this uh, meeting that she had with Khomeini. And uh, the second time she met him, was already in connection with the hostages in in Tehran. You know, after the revolution, the um, students stormed the American embassy and took hostages of all the American diplomats in that embassy. At the same time, 
the war between Iran and Iraq started to take place where Iraq was getting um achieving progress uh, like uh, taking seizing territories from Iran and uh, she was sent again to to Tehran again this time with a plan that the Mossad uh, came up with to solve the problem of the hostages and would that would eventually would help Iran get more ammunition that they would fight they were able to fight a uh, Iraq and eventually this uh, Mossad plan turned to be what was known as the the Iran contra scandal if you remember that Iran contra that's where they funneled uh... I think under President Reagan. Yes, yes, exactly. So basically, eventually, uh, the United States sold weapons to 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 uh, guerrilla fighters in South America, and they sold the weapon to Israel that sold the weapon to Iran. There was, a, was like, go around, this weapon goes around. Eventually, it was intended to get to Iran uh, so that they could fight Iraq. And... Uh, and this she she was sent by the Mossad to Tehran uh, in order to come up with a plan to solve the problem uh, that was happening there. So she she met Ayatollah Khomeini twice. She also tried to save the life of a few Iranian Jews that were sentenced to death by the uh, revolutionary guards after the 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 revolution took place. And um, she also went to Lebanon to meet with high officials, including the head of the Hezbollah. At that time, his name was Sheikh Fadlala, in order to negotiate the life of eight uh, Jews that were kidnapped by the Hezbollah. I went to negotiate in what capacity? Did she go as a Mossad agent? How did she, did she go as an Aturikarta? How did she go? Because she went to a my, dangerous area. My speculation is that this was a back channel that the Mossad used in order to uh, speak with Iran, with the Hezbollah. Um, when you say uh, back channel, was it? Did they use Naturik Harta uh, as a back channel? They used her. She was doing it. But but did she, but she did she come? That's what I'm trying to clear. She was coming was as Naturik Harta. Yeah. It's not clear. I, I cannot really say. I, she, I can't understand how she, if she comes to the Mossad, they would have captured her because they would. She, would have... she came as Nature Carta, but they were welcoming her. They spoke with her. She met with Khomeini. She went. She met with Sheikh Fadlala. She met Khomeini twice. She met with Sheikh Fadlala, the head of the Hezbollah. She met Yasser Arafat. So she met top figures of Israel's enemies. She was trying to negotiate all kinds of deals with them. And was she representing herself, Ruth Bloy, <laughs> or was she representing something else? It's not clear, but there are some uh, evidence to speculate that she uh, was uh, communicating with the Mossad about all of her communications with those uh, people. So I'm curious, because here... She loved Judaism because she became a Jew. She marries an Carter anti-Israel, and yet she still has connections with the Mossad. Isn't it a contradiction? And the Naturikarta was doesn't want doesn't want anything to do with it. They don't even want to be on the electricity grid, right? And here yeah. she's working with the Mossad. Isn't there a contradiction? Because she wants to save Jews in distress. Her her mission was not to help Israel. Her mission was to help Jews in distress. 
Jews in distress in Iran, Jews in distress in Lebanon, and the Mossad also had in that in mind to help the Jews in Iran, to help the Jews in Lebanon. Jews were taken hostages. Jews were taken, were uh, you know, were sent to to there were deaths, uh, you know, um, there were death penalties against Jews, and they, both of them wanted to help these people. She wanted to help them. They wanted to help them. So they found ways to collaborate. Benjamin writes, where is Yusla today? And can he come on your show? Um, <laughs> where, where is he today? And I wouldn't He's in Israel. He's in Israel. Is there, and is he religious at all? Um, I think he's not wearing a kippah, no. Uh-huh. And what does he feel about this whole thing about the yeah. Mossad, Naturi Karta, kidnapping, grandparents, family, how does how does he relate to his family? How does it all play out for him? Yeah, so Yossele told me that uh, he uh, basically had made peace with all uh, of the people that were uh, involved in his concealing and kidnapping with two exceptions. One is Ruth, and the other is his uncle, the first person who kidnapped him. Um, why Ruth? Because she never apologized and to him. And he also was not, uh, he never forgave his uncle because before the uncle took him, he went to Rabbi Grossman in, uh, in Israel and asked him, should I kidnap Yosele or not? And the rabbi told him not to kidnap him, but he still kidnapped him anyways. So <laughs> this is why Yosele is not forgiving his uncle for that. And, and Ruth. These are the two people. But he went to meet the people who were concealing him. He traveled to Switzerland. He traveled to New York. He, so he, he has made his peace with, with all this story. Has he written a book or going to write a book? It sounds like it could be something uh, that people would want to read. No, but as I told you, there's a movie coming up. I don't know many details about this movie, but I know that he is a part of that movie. Here's another question coming in. Why would your guest say that a convert is a second-rate Jew, and who's publishing your book? Okay, so these are two different questions. Uh, this is I didn't say that a convert is a second-rate uh, Jew. Rabbi Bloy said it. <laughs> This is how he justified marrying her. He said, because, you know, because he's sterile, it's okay to marry a convert because it's a second rate, second rate Jew. And um, I'm, this book is going to come up with Indiana University Press. Okay, let's see if we, can, we have a bunch more email. Let's take a caller. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Your question or comment? You have to lower your radio. Oh, go ahead. Hello? Yes, hi. What is your first name? Yeah, Ruchi from Muncie. Go ahead, Ruchi. Okay, I have a... I can talk? Yeah, go ahead. You're on the radio. Go ahead. I have a suggestion for the professor. I'm listening in the whole time. I am Satmar, and as far as I remember, Satmar Rebbe was really didn't want to be involved, and I think he mentioned the word Rebbeton. The Rebbeton did not do anything without her Rebbe. The Rebbe was the king for her, but she didn't do anything behind his back. They never did something without. So I suggest that before the book goes to print, the professor should do a lot of research about the Satmer uh, issue, the Satmer involvement before he goes to print. He should do more research. He should make sure that his words and, 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 and information is accurate. That's my suggestion. Okay, thank you. 
Anyway, thank you for your phone call. Here's another email. Go ahead. Uh, here's an email question that's uh, coming in as well. And we're getting to more of your phone calls, more of your email questions. Okay. So um, here's an e email question. There are two completely separate factions in the Turek Harta in Jerusalem. The more extreme will follow Amram Blau and meet with Arabs and the less extreme who don't accept, don't recognize Blau altogether. Also, did Rabbi Blau have children with her? Because I heard he had. So no, they didn't have any children. That's not it's not correct. So the, about the the fraction of Neturei Karta. So after um, after his death, Neturei Karta basically broke into two groups. But it, during his lifetime, it was uh, it was not two. It was, it was just one group. Here's another email question: The Satan Rebbe was in contact with kidnappers after the kidnapping. It obviously is no indication that the Rebbe approved of the kidnapping. That's true, yeah, that's true. But um, uh, she needed to bring the boy to New York, and she came to meet the rabbi. And she, as I said, there is a document that says that they sat for three hours. She, in her own correspondence, I, I, uh, she writes about this meeting. Uh, what did they speak about? Did they speak about halats, news? I don't know, maybe. We don't know exactly what happened there, but then she moved the boy from France to New York. Someone accepted him in New York. So someone had to arrange that. According to the documents that I found, it was Alte Feige Teitelboim who arranged that. So the previous uh, caller said that the rabbi ruled his wife. Okay. In that case, if, if Alte Feige Teitelboim was ruled by a husband, therefore a husband knew all about everything and... Uh, so you can accept it or not. This is how the facts goes. What's been the reaction? I know the article was in Ynet uh, to this whole story that you're writing about Ruth Blau, Ruth Ben David, uh, as she was known as well. She had about three or four different names from what you write in your book. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The reaction? No, 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 no. I didn't hear any big reactions. I mean, but people, are, we're getting lots of email, lots of people responding. Our guest, just for a little while longer, we're looking at the fascinating case of Ruth Blau. Our guest is Professor Mutti Imbari, Professor of Jewish Studies at the University of Northern Carolina at Pembroke. His book is called Ruth Blau, which should be out a number of months. Fascinating book about a story of a personality, a beautiful woman who was Catholic. She worked for the French uh, secret. She worked for the French intelligence. She worked for uh, the Mossad. Uh, so she's uh, certainly a personality. Married Rabbi Amram Blau and Tori Carter. She kidnapped Yasser Schumacher and she met with Khomeini and Yasser Arafat and was engaged in working with looks like to be the Mossad. Fascinating, fascinating story. You're listening to Talk Line with Zeb Brenner. America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Our guest is an expert on the Tori Carter and Satmer and, and what's happening with Jewish settlers. And we'll have him on another program dealing with, you know, studying Christian evangelicals in their support of Israel. Professor Mutti Invaris, Professor of Jewish Studies at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. His book, Ruth Blau, will be out uh, shortly. 
And uh, we're looking at the fascinating story of a convert to Judaism who was first infiltrated the Gestapo. She ended up working for the Mossad, converted to Judaism, married the leader of Naturi Karta, the anti-Israel Zionist sect, married Rabbi Amram Blau, and met with Arafat and Khomeini. And uh, a fascinating, fascinating story. I'm getting a lot of calls about the convert. They're saying a convert is not a second-class citizen in Judaism. And the answer is it's very highly respected to be a convert. But I think he had some... Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, Professor, but he had some biological issues that made it hard for him to halakhically from Jewish law to marry a Jewish woman because of fertility issues. He had some some uh, some physical problems, correct? And therefore, he he felt he could only marry a convert. Yeah, yeah. So he had he had issues with fertility and and yeah. The the badat the bed din tzedek of Aida Haredit basically said, you know that. Uh, it is uh, it is embarrassing for Neturei Karta that the rabbi is marrying a convert, putting it in a, in the context that a convert is like a lower status than a regular born Jew, and he said as well, you know, if I was to marry a born Jew, uh, you wouldn't have objected it, but since I have issues with my fertility, marrying a convert would make it, um, will solve the problem, which basically he made this argument as well, that because he cannot have children, marrying a convert is actually good for him. This puts all this question about, you know, respecting the converts in kind of like a question mark, at least in this context. Here's an email question. How did Amram Blau's own children react to their father's second marriage? And does Ruth have Jewish children from her previous marriage? Okay, so I already spoke about it, but yes, they were outraged. They were outraged, and they never accepted her. Never accepted her. Uh, but he has 10 children, so some more, some less. But they were outraged. They went to the Supreme Court of the of Aida Haredit in order to uh, force her father not to marry her. And... Um, and does she have children? Yes. She has a son from her marriage in France with a Gentile. Uh, her son converted with her. His name is Uriel. And what happened to him? He's, uh, he's living in Jerusalem. Yeah, he married and he has a large family, eight children, 50 grandchildren. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. He's a, re- he's a religious Zionist. He never went to the Haredi side. He stayed in religious Zionism. So did Ruth be- actually believe in the anti-Zionists? Yeah, I think they did. She, 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 she was a, a true believer in the yeah. philosophy of the Torah character. Yes, yes. And when she first came to Israel, was that the case as well? No, no, no. Uh, she went through the process, you know, she converted through Reform Judaism and then Modern Orthodoxy and then Religious Zionism. Uh, okay, go ahead, Jakob Moinsberg. You have a question for our guests. Yes, I just want to point out to everybody that uh, Sephora, the wife of Moshe Rabbeinu, was a convert to Judaism. Mm-hmm. I, I would also like to point out that Shemayim of Talion, the two chief rabbis of, 
of all the Jewish people in their time were converts to Judaism. But Yaakov, I don't there's think we're, we're, we're disputing that. There's something wrong with it. Right. There's nothing wrong. Being a convert is one of the highest levels. Look at some of the, look at Count Potofsky, the Garrett Sedek, you know, that lived the time in the Vilna Gaon. There's so many converts and, and it really enriches Judaism. I think we've addressed that, but this is what Rabbi Amram Blau believed. And what the professor is saying is what he just quoting what Rabbi Amr Blount stated today, the Haray, uh, to, to the well, Besden. But uh, as, far, as far as I think... Well, Moshe, hold on, hold on. Yeah, let, let, professor, let, professor, let the professor go, go ahead, professor. Moshe, I think you, you agree with me that uh, the Bible, the, the, the halacha is very welcoming to converts, but the Jewish community is not that con- welcoming to converts. Let's be honest about it. Um, I, let's put this way. I can speak in the United States and I know, I know tons of converts. I've interviewed many of them, Professor Mbari, and they've been very much accepted. Uh, I can tell you from my experience what I've seen and I've well, interviewed so many of them. So you know what? Maybe that's the difference. In Mea Sharim, there are no converts. If someone is a convert there, it's, they look like they have horns or something. They look very different. People are not accepting converts over there. It's not like the United States. Okay, maybe it's different, but I but I know that the Judaism itself is very accepting of converts, and uh, certainly, um, you know, from my experience, we we've seen so many converts that that are accepted here. So it's a pleasure to see um, that they're integrated the Jewish. But listen, they have issues. I think the biggest issue that converts have is probably when it comes to have their children marry, or if they themselves were to get married. That I think is the biggest. And I'm wondering uh, when Ruth. Ben David, when she became a convert to Judaism, did she have trouble finding somebody to marry? Is that why she married Rabbi Amram Blau? <laughs> so, because she I'm, has I'm trouble asking. to finding, because she's not. no, no. She was looking to marry a, a, a big person, you know, not just a regular Haredi, a Torah scholar. She wanted to marry a big rabbi. She said it. She wrote it in her letters. Now, what do you, you went through her letters, her diaries? Did she write about her experiences? Yes, yes. So, um, yes, she left behind her an archive, and this archive was was very helpful for me in my research, uh, studying her past. Yes. Now, so. Did she try to? Was it accurate? A lot of what she wrote. Did she try to embellish? Did you have to find other sources to either corroborate or or find mm-hmm. holes in her story? So my uh, point of view was that I cannot trust anything that she wrote in her book, and I need to find additional sources that would, uh, you know, support or not support what she's saying. And for that purpose, I went to France and to look into French archives to see if what she wrote about her past is correct. And um, and this is where I found the most difference from what she said than, than what I found. And then there are these archives that she left behind her uh, that are now in her grandson's uh, possession. He holds them. Now, what happened to her eventually? She passed away. Tell us about that period of her life and her demise. Yeah, she in, uh, um, I think in 1998, she had a stroke and she was 78 years old. And uh, for two years, she was living in like, you know, um, borderline, you know, kind of life in a, in a, in a facility. And she died in 2000. And she, and... it happened, it all happened in London, but she was visiting London. And eventually was, she was buried in Jerusalem in, 
המנוחות. Now was she buried as part of the Turikarta and their cemetery in the Jedi? Yeah. Yeah. And that she's still part of the Turikarta. Yeah, they buried her not next to her Amram, because <laughs> Amram was buried next to his first wife, Hinde. And so but she was she was buried close to close to them. No, in the same area, in the same yeah. Fascinating. I'm looking forward to when the book comes out and Thank I'm sure you. there's a lot more information. Did you finish the book or are there still some parts that you're putting together? No, no, the book is ready. It's all finished. Yeah. Professor Mate Mbari, Professor of Jewish Studies at University of North Carolina at Pembroke. The book is called Ruth Blau. It will be out soon. We'll have to have you back again. I do want to talk about the Christian fundamentalists in Israel, and you're also an expert on the Satman, the Turikarta, um, and uh, my final question to you is, have you been found in Turikarta now? It's, is it the same? You know, I know they met with Khomeini and they have a relationship with the current leadership and they met with Ahmadinejad. Um, and are, can they be used or is Mossad using them at all? Uh, <laughs> back to them today, they use yeah. with, uh, with Ruth Blau. Are they still using some of them today? Is that a possibility? I don't think so, no. <laughs> In other words, these are true believers that they wouldn't work with the Mossad. They weren't like Ruth Blau. Yeah, this is, this is something different. Don't forget, Ruth Blau was a spy all of her life. All of her life. She lived in the shadows. Professor, thank you so much for joining. I look forward to having you back. Thank you for being part thank of our you. podcast. And continued success. We've got to have you back again. Thank you very much. Thank Pleasure you. to be there. Thank you. Fascinating story, as you heard. Thank you for tuning in to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast, the pulse beat of the Jewish community. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the talklinenetwork.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 